So Paul proclaimed that he was unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The gospel is the greatest news ever because this is what it says. You can be changed. You don't have to be today what you were yesterday. And you don't have to be tomorrow what you were today. You can be changed. You can start life all over again with a clean slate. None of the past has any hold or bearing on you today because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, you cannot be condemned for your past. Because of the gospel, everything is a new start. Because of the gospel, you can be free from any addiction to sin. Because of the gospel, you have an intimate father, daughter, as we were singing about relationship with God. Because of the gospel, you can live eternally in a glorified body. Now, if I told you you could live eternally for some of us, that would not be good news. I mean, if you told me at 16, you can live eternally, I'd probably like, wow, cool. But when you're telling me at 55, you can live eternally, it's kind of like, oh, great. But when you tell me I can live eternally in a glorified body, I'm in. I'm all in. As I told you before, I can't wait for this mortal to put on immortality and this corruption to put on incorruption. Death is no longer an end because of the gospel, but it is only the beginning of our real life. You can receive divine and powerful help today from God because of the gospel. You can have meaning and purpose in your life because of the gospel. What you couldn't achieve do for yourself, God has done for you through sending Jesus Christ. What your friends couldn't do for you. You know that comfort that you long for? That, that sense of fulfillment? You know, if you don't find it in Jesus Christ, you will drain everybody around you constantly. You will be the drain. In fact, on your house, they'll put the drain. You will be so needy without Jesus Christ, without, if you don't let the gospel come in and do everything it, it means to do. What your friends can't do for you, what religion can't do for you, what government can't do for you, what education can't do for you, the gospel has already done, already done for you. The gospel gives us so much. It has given us purpose and identity. It gives us promises for life in every circumstance. There is nothing that you can go through that you will not find a corresponding promise in the gospel for. God has a word for anything and everything you go through. A word you can stand in, stand on, and a word that will be fulfilled in your life because of the gospel. The gospel gives you grace. There is no other source or resource for grace. It is the gospel alone that says you are accepted just as you are. Just as you are. The gospel is the only news that not only accepts you as you are, but says you will be enabled by God to fulfill every demand. You are qualified already, and everything you need is in God's grace. It is the sufficiency for every single one of your deficiencies.
It is the gospel that gives us belonging and community. We are all related. We are all sisters because of the gospel. It is the gospel that gives us protection and peace and joy and fulfillment. You see, we live in an entitlement generation, the I deserve it generation. Hey, I'm nobody's doormat. I am so entitled. We are blinded to our own shortcomings, failures, blatant disobedience, ugliness, defilement, and degradation. We are so unaware, so unaware of how our sins are not only hurting and violating ourselves, our own bodies, but how our choices, our sinful choices, violate and hurt everyone's actions. There was that saying in the 70s, hey, it's my life, I can do with it what I want. I'm not hurting anybody but me. But that's not true. Sin has ramifications and repercussions that hurt those all around you. You think you can be unfaithful to your husband, abandon him and your children, and that they're gonna come out emotionally okay from that? With the breakdown of the family? You think the breakdown of the family doesn't affect society? You think that what happens in society does not affect a nation? You think what affects a nation does not affect the world? All because of you. You just started it. You bought canned green beans instead of fresh. No, but you know, our sin affects everything. I was reading an article by a sociologist, and he was talking about Generation X being the entitlement generation. And he was saying that when he was a kid, he signed up for T-ball, and he said he never made one practice, and he never made one ball game. He said he added absolutely nothing to the T-ball team. He didn't go to the banquet at the end of the year, but after the banquet, a week later, he found this trophy on his front porch for playing t-ball. He said he didn't deserve that trophy, but they didn't want any of the kids on the team to feel bad. So he got it. He said, I did absolutely nothing, nothing. He said, but you know, I deserve it because I signed up for t-ball. That's the generation we live in. I deserve it. Lauren Slater wrote an article. She's a New York journalist and a sociologist. She wrote, a psychologist. She wrote an article for the New York Times called The Trouble with Self-Esteem. And she said, the whole self-esteem experiment has failed. People with self-esteem pose a greater threat to those around them than people with low self-esteem. And feeling bad about yourself is not the source of our country's biggest, most expensive and social problems. Man's issue is not a lack of self-esteem. It is the raw conceit that he knows better than God. It's the idea that the created knows better than the creator of how a life should be lived. You know, if I go against the design of my car, if I say, I don't care that the manual says I have to put oil in it, I don't feel 
like putting oil in it. Oil is ugly, and I don't like oil, and I don't want to put it in my car, and why should I have to run on gas? I want to put salt water in it. Salt water is so much nicer than gasoline, and I hate those stations. Will my car run? Do I know better than the maker of my car how my car should be run? No, but I know the color. Literally, I'm with a friend the other day, and she's like, I'm going to pick you up in my car. I said, okay, what kind of car do you have? She goes, it's white. I said, what make is it? And she said, I'm not quite sure what they call it. And I'm like, what brand? That's a really good question. I'm like, you don't know the maker brand of your car? She goes, I've only had it for a month. I'm like, a month? You don't know what kind of... She goes, my husband bought it, leased it. Anyway, it was a Toyota. White. Avalon. But you know, the idea that we know better. You know, our car has a specific design. It runs on gas. When Brian was recently in England, they were with a friend of theirs who lives in England, and they rented a car, and it said, um, unleaded fuel only. He got out, and he put diesel in the tank. And within, within two miles, the car totally broke down. And they're saying to him, did you do anything to the car? He goes, no, I just put gas in it. And when they pulled it in, they found out that he had put diesel instead of unleaded. And guess what? The car would not run. The car would not work because it was not the gasoline it was created to run on. You know, cars are created with specific Specific things that we do for cars to keep them at their optimum best, to make sure they run, to make sure they function as they were designed to function. Most criminals are narcissists. In fact, they believe that others should be sacrificed for their fleeting pleasure. Think about those who murder, maim, kill, rape, steal, For a moment's pleasure, they sacrifice a life. It's not that they're going to be serial killers. It's not like they're fulfilled. Oh, if I just murder that one woman, I'll be satisfied for life and never have to do it again. No, they kill and it's not enough. And they kill and it's not enough. And what happens? Instead of that desire lessening with every crime, it grows to a wanton a wanted desire that they are dependent on taking the lives of others. And they feel that they are worth it. That the, you know, 10 minutes of self-fulfillment or the 30 minutes of, of pleasure that they get is worth a life. It's worth the life of a mother. It's worth the innocence of a, long, a young child. It's worth it for their own perverse pleasure. And that's, that's where we live. This entitlement has led to a downward spiral that is destroying mankind mentally, physically, and emotionally. Consequently, individuals, families, communities, societies, and nations are being destroyed. 
But the gospel is great because it announces what God has done to rectify this situation. The gospel proclaims that God has paid the penalty our sin has merited. The gospel proclaims that God has paid the demand of justice, that he has met it. You see, every sinner owes a debt to God. Every society, all men, and God is absolutely just, and someone must pay for sin. If you come over to my house and you break my refrigerator, and I say, don't worry about it, and you say, wow, I get to go away free. You go away free, but I'm going to have to pay for a new refrigerator. One of us is going to have to pay. Nothing is truly free. Someone has to pay. Someone has to absorb the debt. So God has absorbed the debt through Jesus Christ for our sin. Jesus absorbed our debt. When he took that debt and he paid it with his sinless life upon the cross. So the gospel showcases God's love. It shows how God in his justice and righteousness paid our debt with a great self-sacrifice with his own son. In Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. And in this covenant, he told Abraham, I want you to take all these animals, cut them in half and put them on, on each side of and create a pathway by putting, you know, by putting them asunder. So I have the sacrifice on this side, the other. This was a way of making covenants in Old Testament times. And what they would do for a covenant in those days is they would show what the consequences were if you did not fulfill that covenant. So in other words, God was saying to Abraham, have those animals cut and sunder because that is what the one who breaks this covenant deserves, to be cut asunder. Then God put Abraham asleep. And when Abraham woke up, God alone was walking through the slain animals. In other words, God was saying, Abraham, this covenant has nothing to do with you. You be still, you sleep, and I will walk through this covenant. And if I fail my covenant, then let me be cut asunder. Let me be bruised. It's interesting because when we come to the story of Noah, what does God put in the sky to signify the covenant? He puts a bow. Now we call it a rainbow and we say, isn't it pretty? But you know what it stands for? It stands for the bow of a bow and arrow. And if you look at the bow, who's it pointed to? Who takes, who takes the punishment now? He let the earth take the punishment, but now God says, I will take the punishment of a broken covenant. And that is what Jesus Christ did. He took the punishment of a broken covenant. We broke covenant with God, but Jesus took the punishment of that broken covenant. The gospel presents the terms for qualifying for salvation. In verse 17, we're told, here's the terms that God gives us for salvation, that we might be in this covenant faith. 
all you need to do is believe in what God has already done. And we're told in verse 17, taking from the New Living Translation, that it's all done from start to finish by faith. It's all, it begins by just believing. And it continues by our just believing and, and letting that belief in God and the work of Jesus Christ grow and grow and grow. It begins with faith and it finishes with faith because those who would be righteous do so by faith. It is faith and faith alone that makes us righteous before God. God has based the qualifications for salvation from start to finish on faith, not works or accomplishments, not personal merit. I think about this, like there are involuntary muscles that we have. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to think to breathe. I don't know, but some of you, I'm very forgetful. If I had to think to breathe, I'd be dead. Or if I had to go, come on, heart, keep beating, keep beating, keep beating. You know, if we had to control our heart, if we women are so controlling, if we had to control our, our hearts, we could never sleep. We'd never be able to sleep because like, oh no, somebody's got to keep this ticker going. I, I got to stay awake. You know? But God has placed the most important things in his own responsibility, our breathing, the pumping of our heart. God keeps it going. Just like this covenant we're in, it's God that keeps it going and we just live in it. We just believe it. We just trust him to keep us breathing, to keep our heart pumping. The gospel is great because of its accessibility and availability. It's offered to all, not just to the Jews, not just to the Greeks, not just to slaves, not just to free not just to rich, not just to poor. It's available to the brilliant and to the simple, to the educated and the uneducated, to the talented and the average, to the gregarious and the quiet, to the hyper and to the calm. I had to throw that one in. To the bad and to the good. You see, because we're always disqualifying ourselves, aren't we? You know, you think you're too calm and I think I'm too hyper. Why? Because I am. Somebody asked me, like, do you have really low lows? I'm like, I'm kind of always hyper. I, I would like to be calm. I would, you know, all my report cards always say, Cheryl is so enthusiastic. And even though that sounds like a virtue, when the teacher would come out and say, it's time for math, and I would go, woo! The kids would just be like, Shut up. Hyper gets on people's nerves. Just let me tell you that. But the gospel is offered to all, to anyone. In John 1, 12, it says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the authority to become the children of God, even to those who believe or have faith in his name. The gospel is great because it saves. It saves to the uttermost. It saves from self-destruction, those things that we would, we're hurting ourselves with. It saves from hell and we get to go to heaven. It saves us from the power of sin that would have dominion on our lives. 
The gospel is great because it transforms, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. It doesn't just make us look saved. We are saved. It works on our heart and it transforms our minds and our lives. There was a philosophical question that was asked in the 20th century, and that was, can man be good without God? Can man be good without God? Is there good without God? Well, if you get away from a value system of truth, then you say, what is truth? If you take truth out and you say, there is uh, no truth, there is no basis for truth, then you cannot have any basis for what is good and what is bad. Because my good might be your bad and your bad might be my good. So all of a sudden, there is no good. There is no standard. C.S. Lewis deals with this in Mere Christianity amazingly. But he talks about how deep intrinsically in us, we know that there's a good and bad. He said, even a bad person, if somebody cuts in front of them to the drinking fountain, they'll say, hey, 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 that's not fair. I mean, does anyone like um, being cut in front of, like on the freeway? You know, do, do any of us like that, being cut off? Like, you know, that car that's like, speeding next to you and then just whips in front of you, almost hitting you? Do you like that? Do you enjoy that? No. What do you do? Well, if you're hyper, you go, and then you put your hands back on the wheel. And then, I mean, you know, you're like, what, you want to kill me today? You've never done that. And I've only done it like 30 million times. But somehow, you know it's not fair. You know, even the road rage people, they want fairness on the road. You know, like, I'm cutting them off because they offended me. Because they didn't let me in. Didn't let me kill them. You know, so everyone has this sense, intrinsically, of right and wrong. But society has proved over and over again that man cannot be good without God and without the gospel. Every society that follows their own dictates has failed. Rome destroyed itself. It was destroyed by the indulgences of its political leaders. I I recently read a book this summer called Stalin's Daughter. It was like 2,000 pages. I can't believe I made it through that book. It's one of those things like, I will make it through this book if it kills me. And I did, and it almost did. But it was interesting um, to me to read the story of Stalin's daughter because I don't know how many of you know, but she was raised in Russia. Of course, Stalin's daughter, she should have been the elite. She was considered the princess of Russia. And she, um, she sought exile from the United States. She... um, defected from Russia because of how hard and terrible it was. And she was saying that there was a certain ambassador, the ambassador from the United States to Russia, came back and he said, we don't have to worry about Russia because someday it will implode. Because when you take the standards of right and wrong out of a society, when you take God out of a society, you remove the standard of right and wrong. So there is no quality control on food, on the arms they make, on anything that goes on scientifically. 
And he said that the quality of even their weaponry and their machinery was so poor because they had um, no basis for right and wrong and that Russia would implode on itself. And that's what we see with communism. It implodes on itself because it takes, it takes all that is, all that is you know, good, can only come from God. All the virtues we love, like love and joy and peace and grace, these are in God alone. And every step away from God is a step away from love. That's why Jesus said in the last days, when men don't want to retain God in their consciousness, the love of many would grow cold because every step away from God is a step away from love. Every step away from God is a step away from truth. Every step away from God is a step away from joy. Every step away from God is a step away from meaning and truth. But we've learned that not only can man, I don't think the question is anymore, can man be good without God? But the question of this 21st century is, not can we be good without God, but can we survive without God? Can man survive without God? Solomon, who was the third king of Israel, tried to find meaning and purpose in life without God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he explains all the things that he sought fulfillment through. Um, We know from the book of 2 Samuel that he also sought it through 700 wives and 200 concubines, and that did not fulfill him. He tried possessions, building projects, achievements, wisdom, in that he came up with over 5,000 proverbs, music. He wrote songs, over 2,000 songs. But he concluded that trying to do life without God was vanity of vanities or like trying to grasp the wind with both hands. Romans 1 tells us that man is without excuse when it comes to God. In verse 19, we're told that they're without excuse because of the inward convention. The Holy Spirit has come according to John 16, to convict the world. Conviction goes to the innermost part of your being. It strikes at your soul. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Sin is bad. Sin is evil. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. There is a standard. There is such a thing as goodness, and you haven't made it. And of judgment, that you will be punished for those sins that you committed. There is that sense of dread. And no matter how hard individuals try to fight against that conviction, it only grows stronger. And so they fight harder and harder. Paul himself knew that conviction. When Jesus arrested him on the road to Damascus, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the prods. But what had Paul done? He had gotten angrier and angrier and more and more violent against the church of Jesus Christ, only himself to become more and more convicted under the conviction of Jesus Christ until Jesus said, enough is enough, Paul. It's time to stop kicking against the prods and become my servant. There is the inward conviction, the sense that something is wrong. You know, everyone has a law. 
everyone lives by some type of law. It's interesting because, you know, I'm really, and Brian thinks this is creepy, I'm really into 48 Hours, um, that show, that criminal justice show. I love that show. I also love Snapped, which is all about women that murder. And Brian's like, Cheryl, is this really safe? And I'm like, yes, because I'm not afraid of women that murder. I feel like I could take them down. I'm afraid of men that murder. So I like Snapped. You know, he's like, this isn't about me. No, Brian, it's not about you. He says, I get a little creeped out when you watch these things. I know you do, Brian, but be free. But you know, you'll find these women, they'll say, you know, like, you know, I know I killed my husband, but I'm a really good mother. You know, I never missed any teacher conferences. I'm serious. Yeah, they always have like, I, I might've done this, but I didn't do this and this and this and this. And you're like, you know, and those others did. You know, these, these criminals get up and say, at least I'm not a snitch. I might dismember people, but I don't snitch. You're like, oh good, I'm so glad. Don't snitch, just continue to dismember people. That balances everything. But the Bible teaches that everyone, you can't even meet up to your own law. Those people that you know, have made up their own laws, like those who preach tolerance and say, I'm intolerant of anyone who's intolerant. You know, I'm, I, I just believe in tolerance. Those people that, that, that teach love, I hate people that don't love. You know, and those who won't save a whale, let's kill them. <laughs> we don't need to go into this. I need to move on. There is that nagging consciousness and they try to blame it that inward conviction on Christians. It's Christians. If we just didn't have Christians in society, we could do everything we wanted and society would be so perfect. I heard an actor actually say that. If it wasn't for Christians, society would be so much better and we could do what we want. I've heard people try to blame it on the church. It's the church, those old moralists and those moral standards. If we could just get rid of the church, then society would be good. If we could just get rid of the Bible, the Bible is a book of hate. If we could just get rid of the Bible, oh, then our lives would be so much better. But you know what? You, there's gonna be a time when there's no Christians, no church, no Bible. It's called the tribulation. And you know what? Things are not gonna be better. But that's when man gets to live with all his consequences, with all his choices, that inward conviction is a gift from God, trying to save mankind and bring them to the gospel that they might be saved. There's in verse 20 of Romans chapter one, we're told there's the witness of nature, that creation itself points to a creator. There's a perfect order. There's properties like light and gravity that we take as givens. There's the miracle of water. I mean, water is just one of the most amazing properties. Every other uh, gas gets, gets heavy when it's frozen or gets cold. Water is the only one that gets lighter, that the molecules spread and it floats. And if it wasn't for that quality, we would lose all life, all fish, all, all of the life that's in lakes and streams. 
but for this quality that ice, water gets lighter when it's frozen. It's vapor when, it's, when it gets hot. We are dependent on water. Our bodies are 90% water. We need water. Water not only refreshes our body, not only uh, keeps our systems going, but water is also necessary for all plant life. The earth is dependent on water. I think water is this amazing thing, but do you ever, you ever think about, I think maybe in California we're becoming a little more aware of water because we only get it on Tuesdays and Saturdays in Costa Mesa. But we need water, and yet we just use water, and we don't have that appreciation and realize. You know, water is the only um, solvent. It's the only solvent. It's the only thing that dissolves stains. You know, when you get coffee on your shirt, what do you do? You run over and you start putting water on it, and you get enough cold water, and it's going to get rid of that stain. It's the only solvent. What do you use to clean? Get the dirt off your body. Water. Why? Because it gets rid of the dirt. Why do you use it on your dishes? Because hot water kills germs. Water is amazing. But that's not what this study is about. It's about the maker of water. It's about the one who walks on water. Not only that, but... The earth is in these perfect proportions, the size of the earth, the distance from the sun, the distance from the other planets, all in perfect proportion. One single degree of the earth would throw everything off and we'd all be scorched. But God has set everything just the perfect distance from the sun, just the perfect tilt of our polar axis, just the perfect size, not too small, not too big. God has designed it. And Richard Dawkins says, because he's so smart, even though everything appears to be designed because of its perfection and its detail, it's not. Our bodies, the witness of our own bodies, we talked about our voluntary and involuntary muscles, our design, our placement, our parts. I mean, have you ever thought about it? Where your eyes are? Have you ever thought about how the fact that your eyes are at the top of your head so you can see everything and not on your big toes? Oh, let me see what's going on there. You know? <laughs> Have you ever thought about how perfectly your, the placement is? The ears on both sides so you're taking in the sound. Even the fact that your ears look like arenas, you know, so the, the sound can filter down inside. I mean... The complexity of our cells, our tissues, our organs, our, our 12 systems in our body, the seven defenses that God has given us from our skin to the, the hair on our skin to the, um, to the white blood cells, to all the things that God has given us uh, for defense. Our ability to think, reason, speak, walk, move, create. And all of us have a three and a half billion letter word written with five letters in our DNA. Every single one of us has a helix that has this special code that says uh, everything about you from your eye color to your to your uh 
Well, I wouldn't say hair color because you're changing that. <laughs> but to the size of shoe you wear, to your height, um, to even um, your thinking processes, so much all encompassed in that DNA. And every one of us, those letters are arranged uniquely and differently for each one of us. Three and a half billion ribosomes, these, this, this code in each of us. God's creation speaks of his invisible attributes, of his genius, of his creativity, of his care, of his order, of his complexity, of his faithfulness, of his reality. The higher you go into the planets and the solar systems, the more, the more amazing and grand our God is. The more intricate you go to molecules, atoms, and cells, the more you realize how infinitely wise, creative, wondrous, powerful God is. Interestingly enough, not to keep quoting Richard Dawkins, but Richard Dawkins also says that nature and creation is so complex that if we had a creator, he'd have to be more complex than the creation. Therefore, he doesn't believe in God. We'll get to him in just a second. Men want to rule themselves. This is really the problem. They don't want to be told how they should live. They don't want to follow the manual. They want to put diesel in an unleaded engine. So they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They do not tell the reality of what they're discovering and finding out. They refuse to acknowledge God. They ignore what is obvious and try to explain away God's work and give credit to time, nature, explosions like big bangs, and nothingness. In fact, they say nothing created everything. Nothing created everything. They are unthankful, ungrateful, entitled, don't want God in their lives. They're unthankful for earth, for bodies, for life, for food. They will not acknowledge where these gifts came from or that they are gifts. And the ramifications of trying to live without the gospel have been disastrous, mentally disastrous. In verses 21 and 23, through 23 of Romans chapter 1, we see the mental disaster of trying to live without God, of trying to ignore God, of not glorifying him of God, of not being thankful. And we find that thoughts become futile or thinking becomes totally unproductive. As the Holman's Christian Standard Bible puts it, their thinking became nonsense. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So they might say they're wise, but as we know from the Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I believe a generation from now will laugh at the folly of present-day so-called science. Even now, scientists do not hold, the majority of scientists do not hold to Darwinian evolution and scoff and mock it because they have learned that it is absolutely impossible. We're told that mentally 
They exchanged the glory of a creator. The idea of being designed, specially innately designed, of being unique and precious. For worship of animals and man, products of random chance and ooze, and hence no sanctity or respect for God. Consequently, God let them have their thoughts. They refused to give up their thoughts. So God let them keep their thoughts and gave them over to a debased mind. He let them think what they chose. And this has led to absolute insanity, more confusion than ever. We live at a time where there is more mental illness than has ever been in society, ever before. Our so-called age of enlightenment, of self-glorification, has left us with more mental problems than ever before. It has had physically disastrous effects, verses 24 through 28. And the first one of this, I love this, it's uncleanness. More germs, more viruses, more diseases because of more unhealthy sexual practices. There has been a breakdown in the immune system because if you put diesel in an unleaded system, the car is going to break down. Our bodies were created for monogamy. And any violation of that will lead to physical breakdown. We're told that there was lust in their hearts, that they acted on those lusts, that they did physically whatever they felt like doing. And so this has led to social, physical problems, health issues. We're told that these kind of physical activities dishonor the body. And when you dishonor the body, you are disrespecting the body. No modesty, no purity, using others for physical pleasure, for 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 my own, their own physical, fleeting physical enjoyment, which does not last. You I, I was driving down, and I'll just tell you, it was Orange Avenue and Costa Mesa at 19th Street, not a um, private neighborhood at all. And there was a girl in a string bikini walking her dog. <laughs> I mean, she was like, I knew what her anatomy was, like that. <laughs> and I turned to my friend and I said, wow, she's very brave. Very brave indeed. She also had high heels on. I found that really interesting. And she was walking a dog. I don't know. I, you know, I'm not into burkas, but I'm, I'm really not into the, I don't know. It was just, it was interesting to me. It was very interesting. She was very brave, very brave indeed. But this idea of, of disrespecting our body. You know, I don't know about you, but I feel like nobody has the right to look at this body unless they marry me. And so only one person in all of history has seen this body, you know, except for my parents when I was a baby, so it looks differently now. But you know, i respecting this because it's God's creation. But now what are, what are, what's happening in our society? We see the youth, and what are they doing? Self-harm. They're doing utilization, 
They're cutting themselves. They're purposely hurting themselves because they don't have any honor or respect for their bodies. They don't see their bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. They, they've been told you're a product of ooze. Your grandfather was probably a monkey. And they have no self-respect. And not only do they not respect themselves, they don't respect others. They've exchanged the truth for lies. And they've lost the divine purpose of life. Lies. What are these lies? That sexual deviance is how I'm really fulfilled. And if I can't be sexually deviant, then, then I'll never be fulfilled. Because unless I give in to this, I'll never know who I really am. That's a lie. Another lie. I cannot be who I really am unless I'm allowed to have sex the way I want to. Or this is the real me. My chromosomes are wrong. Or I'm happier this way. Is it any wonder that the suicide rates are up? Then we're told the worship of men. We worship the creature. And yet, even as we're worshiping men, we're devaluating human life. And this is evidenced by the violence on school campuses, terrorism, abortion, and now in California, assisted suicide is legal. I was sitting at a pool at the hotel we were staying at, swimming with my grandchildren, got to talking with this young girl who's a social worker. She works with geriatrics. And she looked at me and she said, aren't you so excited that California just passed assisted suicide? I was like, <clears throat> Lord, help me with this one. And I said, do you know, I really don't know how I feel about that because to me, all life is so precious. And I said, I think of those children who have those low moments of depression and they don't know how special they are. And in a moment, they make a decision that takes them out of this earth. I said, I'm just not sure. I, I, I'm not sure because those people that, you know, commit suicide right before the cure comes. I said, I'm just not sure. I said, you know, I believe that, I believe that everyone was created by God for a special purpose. And I don't want anyone to miss out on that special purpose for their life. And she's like, oh, that's totally cool. I'm Jewish. Like, What am I missing? You know, it's interesting that we worship the creature. We worship movie stars and rock singers. They're our new heroes. These individuals who live such noble lives. And what happens? The young begin to imitate their self-obsessed lives. Selfish, self-indulgent, self-seeking, self-promoting but they make it look like it's all that. And yet, oh, they're miserable. We're told again, God gives them over. God doesn't keep people from doing what they want with their physical bodies. He allows them to glut themselves. Just like he allowed the Jews when they asked for meat, he gave them meat. We're told that he gave them meat and they glutted themselves so badly that the meat the quail was actually coming out their noses. They were eating. They were so full. I did that once with grape juice. I just have to tell you, I was five 
and I just drank so much grape juice that it came out my nose onto my mom's white carpet. And it was great because they had a conversation piece right there on their carpet. This is from the day that Cheryl drank so much grape juice it came out her nose. One of those wonderful stories that only your parents can tell or your brothers. Given up by God. He allows them to glut themselves and see that it still does not fulfill. Drink from and keep drawing from the same empty wells. Women have lost the beauty of femininity. They've lost respect. Trying to be men, instead of just enjoying and embracing the beauty of being women. We lose everything that makes us unique. You know, we were made as a complement to men, the fulfillment of men, so that together there could be a, a perfection, a completeness. Every cell in our body, as I said earlier, marks us as male or female. You can try and be in denial of that, but every cell in your body says you are a girl or you are a boy. Not in this congregation saying you are a girl. Every cell. There's not a cell in your body that says, oh, we're not sure. <laughs> what do you feel like being? Every cell marks you out, either male or female. Every cell identifies you. God put it into you. The results have been vile passions that are degrading and violent, unnatural uses, things that go against the physical design, burning lust, shameful acts, penalties, penalties, natural penalties in our bodies from diseases, depression, and self-destruction, broken relationships, and no stability. The sexual revolution has done nothing for us. It has been no gains and only losses. It has been the loss of appreciation of being a woman, the loss of appreciation of a man. We have lost dignity. We have lost virtue. We have lost the glory of fidelity. We have lost respect for marriage. We have lost the respect for women. We have lost innocence. We have lost purpose. We have lost true fulfillment. We have lost purity. We have lost it. And it's been emotionally disastrous. Trying to live without God. Emotionally disastrous. Verses 29 through 32. We, society can't even stand the reminders of God. Think about it. Isn't it amazing all the lawsuits and money that people are spending to try to get rid of God? They want to rid, rid themselves of any reminders of his commands. Oh, we got to take that out of that public building. We don't want anything in our schools or our public buildings that say, thou shalt not. No, no, no. We don't want to say anything that says, you know, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not, you shall not uh, bear false witness against your neighbor. No, we don't want that. Thou shalt not steal. Oh, no. Isn't that terrible to tell people you shall not steal? Oh, that is so limited. That's so cruel. We don't want to see that. You shall honor your mother and father. Oh, no, we don't want to see that. The commands. Oh, let's get them out. Let's not look at those. 
They don't want to know about his coming. So we don't want crushes in public places. We don't want nativity scenes in public places because they might make somebody feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. We don't want crosses. We don't want crosses on hills. We don't want to see crosses at the workplace that people would wear them around their neck. We certainly don't want our teachers in public schools wearing crosses because that might remind us that we're sinners and we need a savior. We don't want churches. We don't want to see churches and we don't want to see Christians because they remind us of, of things that make us feel limited and uncomfortable and bad about ourselves. There's rampant emotional problems, sexual immorality, even among young children. There is wickedness, covetousness, wanting what others possess, maliciousness or evil plans and bad intentions. Facebook bullying is a huge issue right now. I, you know, I just think that sometimes we should put gloves on and keep our fingers off the keyboard. Because in a moment of anger, you're going to say things that you regret. And there it is. It's in cyberspace. And words hurt. There's envy to a full extent. People aren't resisting envy. They're giving themselves over to it. There's murder. There's strife. Uh, and, and not only publicly, but in the heart. There's allowances. There's the feeding of these things. Strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers or secret schemers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, disobedient, inventors of evil things. Think about, this one really got me, inventors of evil things. I was thinking of all the evil products that are on for sale on the internet that people actually think these things up and create evil things, evil ideas, evil products, and evil stories. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. And these emotional issues have left us with an unstable society. All of these ills have come from the simple revelation of man trying to live apart from the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. David proclaimed in Psalm 16 too, I have no goodness without you. And that is true of every man and woman today. There is no goodness without God. But here's the good news. The bad news is there is no good news without God. But the good news is, God has done something to rectify this situation. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from the consequences and condemnation that we deserve, that we have created for ourselves. The gospel is the only hope for mankind. It alone can save. It alone can transfer, transform the mind the body, the heart and emotions. You know, it's interesting. Sandy McIntosh, I just came from a pastor's wife's conference and Sandy got up 
And she talked about the power of the gospel. And she talked about how when Mike uh, McIntosh, they had gotten married, they had gotten divorced and she divorced him because he was crazy. Because he had so, um, so indulged in drugs that he thought that he only had half a head and he couldn't think straight. And he was saying crazy things and acting in crazy ways. And he came to Calvary Chapel and he got saved and he went forward and he had the men pray for him. And he said he felt this burning sensation all throughout his body, but especially in his head. And at that moment, suddenly he began to think straight and his thinking all lined up and those delusions and those lies left him. And he knew the truth and he began to walk in a stable path. And Sandy McIntosh got saved um, in a whole um, different way, not knowing that Mike, I mean, she was like, I don't want anything to do with you. Don't ever look at me. Don't speak to me ever again. They were divorced and she was so free of Mike. She comes to Calvary and there's Mike as one of the leaders, (laughs) one of the sane people in the church. And God not only restored Mike's mind, he gave Sandy back to Mike and their marriage was restored and it's still going strong to this day. God gave him a sound mind. See, the gospel restores us to right thinking. Our thoughts are no longer futile. Our thoughts become divine and purposeful and beautiful and noble and true. But it restores the body to the purposes that God intends for our body because our bodies become the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. Christ comes and he makes his home in our hearts. He lives within us and we begin to do the things we were created to do, that we were made to do, and we sense his pleasure as we do them. Oh, it restores our heart, our emotions, those places where we're cold, those places where we've just cut off and we refuse to feel. We begin to feel again. We, we, we begin to feel joy. We begin to feel real love. We begin to feel a passion and compassion for others, concern. We feel peace. We feel acceptance. We feel loved. We begin to feel again because we're alive. And those emotions, instead of being wicked and untrustworthy, we become trustworthy. We become faithful because we become more like our God, because he's living in us and our emotions are healed. We're able to love, we're able to forgive, we're able to let go, we're able to embrace. And when we feel pain, we're able to feel that pain for the good of others. You know, you go through something and you're thinking, that was so terrible. You know, I, I, I don't want to ever think about that again. And then you talk to someone who's right in the middle of it. And you're like, I'm so glad I can relate to you. And you say to yourself, it was worth it so I can minister to this person. It was worth it. Isn't that crazy? Only God can redeem pain. Only God can give that kind of purpose. 
Oh, he heals us emotionally. We are transformed by the gospel. And it's not what we're doing. It's not by this plan that we're keeping. It is all because of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross. And it's available to any and all who will receive it. You remember this story in John chapter 4. That Jesus goes out of his way to bring the gospel to an immoral, spent, used up woman of Samaria. To this outcast. Outcast from the Jews. Outcast from her own people. Outcast of her own laws. She couldn't even keep her own covenants that she had made. She had been married five times. And each one of those covenants she had made with a husband had been broken. And now she was living with a man. And yet she felt a certain conviction when Jesus begins to talk to her. You know, when, when he starts out talking to her, she's just belligerent. He said, can you get me a, a cup of water? She's like, you, a Jew, asking me? It's kind of like you can hear her say, I don't think so. You, know, you, you get this feeling from her. And she's just looking at him with this disdain. She's got this conviction. She feels condemnation. She's confused about where and how to worship. She's isolated socially. She's a Samaritan. She's an outcast. That's why she's getting her water at noon and not early in the morning when the women did. She's physically broken. Five Marriages have fallen apart and she's living with the man. She's emotionally drained and embittered by life. Yet Jesus seeks her out and he offers her the living water of the gospel. He tells her, whoever drinks of the water you're drinking of will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Not every person that you see out there is as content with the way things are going in their lives and in society as they appear. It's all a lie. It's all a sham. Because after Jesus met with this woman and she received the gospel, don't you think she was probably like the least likely to be saved in Samaria? The least likely to be saved in Israel? She receives the gospel. She runs back into town. She tells the people, come meet a man that, that told me everything that ever went on in my life. He read my heart. He read my mind. He, know, he knew my life, and he still wanted me. He still offered me the living water. And she brings these people to Jesus. When the disciples come, we're told that they marveled that he spoke with a woman, but a Samaritan woman. And he said to his disciples, don't you say three months and then comes the harvest? I want you to look out right now. I want you to look out on that society, that world. And I want you to know what I see when I look out there. I see a field that is ripe for harvest. I see people that are truly discontent. I see people that have the nagging conviction of the Holy Spirit, who if the gospel will just be presented to them, they will receive it they will receive it. It's not too late for the gospel. New laws or reversing bad laws are not enough. Moral reforms are not enough. A new government is not enough. We've gone past the point of no return. 
We've gone past the point. And the only, the only cure for mankind is Jesus, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. I, I tweeted, I've tweeted three times. This is one of my Twitters. I loved it. I thought it was such genius. I had to like tweet it. You can have your excuses or you can have the remedy. Jesus is the remedy. Everything else is an excuse. The gospel is the remedy. It's the answer. Everything else is just an excuse or it's, a, it's an imitation. It won't last. But the gospel has come to set you free. He who has the son is free indeed. Nothing but the gospel. And you have the word of the gospel within you. You have the transforming word. That word that transformed you can transform others. So don't ever, ever be ashamed of the gospel because it's powerful. It's the power of God on display in transforming, transforming the lives of taking people from the deepest hell on earth and transforming them to the greatest heaven and glory. That is the gospel. It travels further. It goes deeper. It's able to save to the uttermost. That's the gospel. Oh, hold fast to the gospel. Let the gospel work in you to the fullest sense. And don't, don't draw back from the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Don't cower. Realize it's transforming, powerful effects. Identify, associate, live out, proclaim, hold fast the gospel because the gospel is the only hope for mankind. I know a young woman and I was interviewing her and she told me that years ago, she had come to the end of just everything and she was in her little apartment all by herself. And she said, God, I don't know your name, but whoever you are, I want you. So if you're Buddha, show yourself. If you're Krishna, show yourself. If you're Vishnu, show yourself. If you're Allah, show yourself. If you're Jesus, show yourself. Whoever you are, because I know you're out there, show yourself and I'll serve you. The next day she went to Starbucks. She was there to get a frappuccino. And the lady in front of her just said hello, started talking to her and started sharing with her the gospel of Jesus Christ and invited her to come to Calvary Chapel. And my friend came to Calvary Chapel. This is just like five years ago and said, thank you for revealing to me. Jesus, your son, thank you. And she gave her life completely to Jesus. And she now has the divine ministry of serving coffee on Sunday mornings. <laughs> the gospel. I, let's say it together. I, uh, stand up and let's say it together. And if you don't know this by heart, then I want you to turn to verse 16 of Romans chapter one. And we're going to do it together. And we're going to do the New King James. So 
If you don't have New King James, just work with us. For, let's do it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. We're going to do it one more time. But where it says Jew, I want you to put your name. And where it says Greek, we're going to say everybody else, okay? In fact, if you want, if there's somebody that you're praying for their salvation, put their name there, okay? So we'll just do it. Here we go. One more time with, with feeling. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for Cheryl first and also for Teresa. All right. You have the gospel you've been transformed. You have power. You have meaning. You have the most powerful news, the most glorious news, and it's in you, and it's working in you. And God wants to transform the world by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would not, not be put off by the ills we see in society, but we would say, this is what happens when you separate mentally, physically, emotionally from the gospel, from the good news. Lord, that we would not be ashamed, but Lord, you would work in us, work in us by the power of what you've already done. Lord, the clarity to speak this gospel, the, the power to live out this gospel. Lord, the power to give an answer when anyone asks why we're so different. Lord, that we wouldn't get them, give them a set of rules and regulations, but we would give them the good news that Jesus has come that he has died for all their sins and all the evil things that they truly feel bad about. And he has come to give them life and that more abundantly and that they can be transformed, that they can start life all over again, brand new with no debts. Lord, thank you for this great news. Lord, may our appreciation and our thanksgiving overflow for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.